Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the latest Outsports podcast. It is, Jesus, the 6th of April already. And I have to say, Sid, one of the best things uh, is is when you get your taxes done. I got mine done a week and a half ago. And it's this nice feeling of having it off my back for another year. We always do it in, in October. We just punt it till the, the fall. So I've got another six months. Well, yeah, that's that. That's nice, but it's just one of those things that feel. You always feel it's looming over you, looming over you. You got to look at all the expenses. Like, oh, it's done. And I overpaid last year, so that was good news. That is good news. It's always good news to get a refund. Well, it's just being applied to next year's taxes, but it's the same difference. But it's like, oh, that's actually not a bad thing. So, <clears throat> although I guess tax day is the 18th this year, it's three days later. Why is that? Oh, the 15th is on a oh, Saturday, and there's something on, I don't know, some holiday on Monday or some, whatever reason, it's on the 18th. That's, so. Easter, we, that's Easter weekend this year. Easter weekend, but there's, there's something on Monday the 17th that is a reason that uh, your taxes aren't due until the 18th. But anyway, hope you uh, people don't have to pay too much this year. Um, we got a couple of things to talk about. We're going to start something we hope is a regular feature where we're talking about coming out stories because we think that's what we do best and we think that's important and Sid and I are going to share god we've done how many hundreds of them some of our favorite coming out stories over the years and our goal is to get some guests on to talk about their coming out experiences uh but first Sid we got to talk about the thing I guess I'm kind of sick of hearing about but it's still important it's a whole fallout in North Carolina over um, them repealing HB2, the anti-LGBT bill, and replacing it with HB142, which is basically the anti- another anti-LGBT bill with very few exceptions. Um, we've called it a scam from day one, but it was enough for the get the NCAA to say it will consider using North Carolina as a uh, uh, sites as hosts for championship events, and we'll start knowing this weekend when they start uh, doing events through, I think, from 2019 through 2022, I believe, and we have written about it. We've had some great columns, guest columns about it, but since this happened a week ago, any more insight into what, I mean, our, of what exactly happened? Was this sort of, you know, rigged up front? Did they they know this was going to be the bill, and so they gave a wink, wink, nod, nod to it. As I've said for years, the NCAA is a fraud on LGBT inclusion. And people keep praising the NCAA, and Lambda Legal gives them a leadership award, and everybody kisses their ass. Uh, but they suck on this issue. The fact that they allow member institutions to fire coaches simply for being gay or expel student-athletes simply for being gay, that they allow member institutions to have direct, explicit, anti-LGBT policies written in their student handbooks, 
tells you all you need to know about this. And and this little the the little move that they made last year in North Carolina, that was just because their hand was forced. The NBA moved out. All these companies were saying they were going to move out. They had to. I mean, they didn't have a choice. They had a gun to their head. If they didn't move out, it would have been that would have been a disaster. So now, you know, like you said at the beginning, you're tired of talking about it. I'm tired of talking about it. People are tired of talking about this issue. Have been, I think, for a while. And so now the NCA can just kind of, you know, slip out the back door. Uh, it was it was a half day story in the media, and now nobody's talking about it. Yeah, and as we said last week, the the headlines were bathroom bill repealed, which was technically accurate, but it was factually in many ways it, it did not capture what has actually happened. And so that's all people saw. I saw even some late-night comics sort of, oh, they repealed the bathroom bill, and people were applauding. And they didn't follow up with the fact that what they replaced it with was, in many ways, just as bad. Um, You know, one thing that sort of people need to realize is this – that it kept a prohibition of HB2, which is one of the worst things. It says local municipalities could not pass their own – LGBT rights ordinances, which is what the city of Charlotte did. And if they had simply repealed HB2 and gone back to the previous thing, then it would have been up to cities like Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, wherever, to pass their own, so you could have had some relief in those places. But this makes it prohibited through the 2020 elections, which is even more cynical that the the expiration date is December 1st, but then even then, it can be extended indefinitely, um, you know, at at the whim of the legislature. So, it really is. It, it they achieved what they wanted to achieve was getting the word repeal in headlines on every website yeah. in the country, and people are so sick of it now that there's really not much of a protest going on because people kind of feel there's not much they can do. We had a great letter that uh, you posted yesterday from 166 former and current um, college athletes asking them to pull events out of North Carolina. Uh, Rep. Joe Kennedy of Massachusetts wrote some really strong letter beforehand about it, and basically they're just going to ignore it. There isn't an LGBT organization. There isn't an LGBT community leader. There isn't an LGBT athlete. There isn't an LGBT coach that I have seen say anything but this is continued codification of discrimination against the LGBT community. I, I, I have not seen a single LGBT person say it's anything but continued codified discrimination. For the NCAA to ignore the voice of every single LGBT person in this conversation and go their own direction. I, it, again, I, you know, I, I, I sound like a broken record, and I have for years. The NCAA's fraud. They don't care. They don't care about. They don't care about LGBT people. They don't care about our inclusion. They don't care about our equality. Now, in a couple of weeks, they'll host their their inclusion forum, and everyone will go, and everyone will talk and 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 talk. But the fact of the matter is they won't, the NCAA doesn't do anything on LGBT issues. They put out some manuals and they have a couple think tanks. But they don't do anything. So, I, I, again, people are surprised that this happened. People are telling me that it couldn't happen. 
it's the NCAA. They don't care about us. Oh yeah, you and I, you and I were not the ones saying it wouldn't happen. We even actually had a private email exchange where I said, "Yeah, they'll cave," and you said you agree. And people need to remember the NCAA is basically a cartel set up to manage sports at the NCAA. It's not. It, it's its first and primary thing is a business thing. It's not. You know, they make this all this noise about student athletes, and they have all these stupid rules about you know you can't buy a kid whatever a slice of pizza or something, or else it's a recruiting violation. At the same time, coaches could make millions on shoe contracts. But it's basically big business is what it is, and big business money rules. And North Carolina is a big player in the NCAA, within, especially in college basketball, and that's what's going to win out. And so I am convinced that the NCAA knew about the repeal language ahead of time and gave their basic tacit admission. And it's amazing when they, they issue a statement this week and they say they, they're reluctantly, <laughs> like someone's Ridiculous. forcing them to do this. Ridiculous. And then the, the woman who sponsoring a similar bill in Texas is crowing now how – you know, her bill uh, will pass NCAA muster. Now, fortunately, that bill sort of stuck in the House in Texas. So we're not sure that's going to pass, but she thought, oh, this is great. So she gets. So the people who are against LGBT rights get how this is going to be, you know, used. And so we'll see. We'll, I'm curious to see what events they wind up giving to North Carolina and when. Are they going to skip 2019 as sort of a, you know, whatever? No. As, as a, all of these, are they going to start just doing it immediately? It's full steam ahead. Uh, again, we have to stop thinking of the NCAA as, as in any way considering what's good for the LGBT community when it makes its policies. Again, the only reason they left North Carolina – was because the NBA did and made a big stink about it. That's the only that's the only reason. And a bunch of other companies did and made big stinks about it. The NCAA said, "No, we're 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 good here." They would have looked. That would have that would have been a a, a disastrous business decision. It wasn't tech people. It was a business decision, like you said. So we have to stop even considering that they will do. What's best for the community? It's full steam ahead with North Carolina. It's over. This is over. Well, I I agree. I'm you know I I think we'll keep writing about it. But bottom line is, come Saturday, whenever they make the decisions, once we see the sites, it's there's not much that anyone's going to do about this. And at least through 2020, and who knows what the election to 2020 will be, if there will be a whole new slate in North Carolina in the legislature. And in, we now know the governor, a Democrat, is is, is betrayal of, uh, of LGBT people, so we'll deal with that. But let's talk about something on a more upbeat note, because yes, one of the right. things we do is we, – I think you were telling me, and you made a point that I hadn't thought about, that – Outsports probably has told more coming out stories than any other media outlet in history because we have so many original coming out stories. I mean, there are, you know, every other media covers every big person who comes out, you know, as recently as yesterday with Barry Manilow. But we, I thought Which, we probably way, have told. I, that, I, 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 I would have sworn that he was out already. I, I you know, if Howard Bragman I had. Uh, is his longtime associate, and uh, you know I think he works with them too, and or has at least. And I was stunned to hear that he was not out. 
Well, also, I think, I think I had known because, you know, you hear certain people over the, oh, yeah, they're gay. And I just assumed he had been public about it. Um, but, you know, good for him. I mean, he, it, you know, be, kind of better late than never in a sense, but he he has a partner. And uh, but, yeah, you're I, the same thing. I thought, oh, I had already, I thought he had already come out years ago. But I mean, there you go. But anyway, we we've told more coming out stories than any publication probably ever has. And we are going to try We may switch the time we do this and try to get people. It's hard to get people on a work day uh, to be free to talk. But I wanted to talk about kind of we've, in the last 15 years or so, what are the some, some of your favorite coming out stories? It doesn't have to be anything monumental. It could be one that kind of just struck you in a different way. And I thought we'd just kind of spend the rest of the podcast kind of bopping back and forth with people, bringing up some memories of both recent people and people that came out years ago. Anyone that I'll let you start. Anyone that you want to highlight first? Well, I, I'm going to highlight the two that we had this week because they both they both really struck me in different ways. The one we had today from Michael Castor, who's, who works at the NFL front office, uh, you know, he, 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 the way he crafted the story, and he did it all on his own, was, you know, he really set up these two lives that he feels he has had to live. Uh, his, his, his just straight, for, all, for lack of a better word, uh, life at the NFL, where he avoids questions about what he's doing that weekend so he doesn't have to talk about his gay friends or the gay bars he's going to. And and then and, and then his other life, which is <laughs> he's he's a gay guy in New York City. And and you know it's it's and and talking about um you know the the, 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 the power of straightness in sports, in sports culture that people in the NFL front uh, front office aren't homophobic. They're just really, really straight. And everything is straight. And 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 the conversations are straight, and there just isn't this, there almost isn't this this entry point for a gay guy to jump in, and 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 talk about his life. It's it and and you know we've I've we've talked at Outsports, and many many people have uh, at Outsports about the 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 issue that LGBT people have in sports isn't necessarily this overt homophobia, but the constant overt straightness that you just don't have you just don't relate to and so i thought that michael's piece today was was really great and really insightful in, into that dynamic in sports yeah and it's you know i i know i know who he is meaning i real i didn't know i didn't, i saw the face and i said oh but he, he played flag football so um and i don't really know michael at all but in reading the story it it is interesting that heterosexuality is assumed the default when guys are out when they're younger you know you're dating anyone and they mean a woman and so people often have to kind of juggle those two and he was able to sort of do it although you know um but in a way that does have a certain um impact on people when you feel you kind of have to maybe kind of censor yourself in certain environments um and so the fact that he sort of totally come out kind of publicly i think is fantastic sad Poor guy's a Jets fan, so that's actually a, the thing that made me saddest reading the story. Right. <laughs> Pretty sad. But, yeah, I mean, those, and I think we've talked to a lot of people who are like that, and there are people who have this zone of privacy they feel 
but in some ways the zone of privacy makes them feel that they really have to censor themselves, and I think that's the difference. So um, I thought that that story kind of illustrated something that is a lot more common because there's a lot there's a lot more people like Michael in the sports world than are people who are like totally out uh, everywhere. And then the second yeah. one, uh, I'm assuming you're talking about uh, Jacob, uh, the cheerleader at Michigan State. That was a fantastic story. Yeah, you know, we we have we ask these athletes to write their own stories and and we give them a little direction. And and at first I had wanted him and and he has a a, a teammate who's a good friend of his who's also gay on the team. And I'm not outing him; he's out very out on social media. So, um, and I wanted them to write a joint story. And Jacob came back. He's like, well, I want to write my own story. And I was like, Okay, yeah, fine. And we don't know what we're going to open up. But we oh, we start reading these people's stories. And I I was reading it. I think it was over the weekend, maybe on Saturday, crying like this kid. I mean, talking about the, the suicide of his high school boyfriend while he's in high school was just it was gut wrenching. And 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 the power that being a cheerleader, being on this cheerleading team, the the, the power that that had in his life, uh, and and uh, it was as far as support and and giving him inner strength. The way he talked about that was just so. I just thought it was so revealing about about you know just how important sports are in people's lives and 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 obviously just I'm mean, just what a what a just a, a gut wrenching story about losing you know a, a love at the age of 17. I I can't even imagine. Well, and I, it brought me back to Billy Bean, the the baseball player now a baseball executive who was a gay player but didn't come out till after he retired and. Billy lost his partner while he was playing with the Padres. His partner died, I believe, uh, you know, I think it was AIDS he died of, but Billy had to mourn privately. And Billy did, could not go, and he felt go and share with his teammates the pain he was going through. I think he kind of played the day his partner died. And I thought, in a sense, for someone like Jacob, the change to be able to use your team to give you that emotional support. And I think Billy had said that, you know, after the fact that, you know, his teammates probably would have been very supportive, but he felt at the time back in the 90s that he kind of had to just sort of keep all this in. And so I, I think that in Jacob's case, it was one of those things where the team itself proved to be something that helped in the healing process. And so I thought that was very moving. I want to go to one of the ones that one of the people I was more, most proud of, and this was way back, probably 15 years ago, Andrea Zimbardi. The, she had been playing softball at the University of Florida, and she came to right. us, said she was, had been discriminated against by her coach. And she went public with a very detailed um, sort of story about how she was uh, kicked off her team for, and her, for being a lesbian. And she wound up getting a settlement with the university. And I thought this was back like 2004, uh, an honor roll student, and she wasn't going to kind of accept that quietly. And she had a very well-documented case, and she got, I think I did the story on it, she got a lot of supporting stuff from teammates and stuff and wound up getting a settlement one with it. So, I mean, that, this is someone back then when it was a lot harder, even in a woman, to kind of be kind of publicly out um, she was able to do it. So I think I, that, was, that wasn't a pure coming out story in the sense of her, you know, telling this sort of uplifting story, but it was one that I felt that kind of I felt empowered uh, as someone who said, listen, I'm not going to settle for being discriminated against, and she won, and kind of good for her. And I remember her, and that was, that was 13 years ago. 
Well, not, uh, coming out story doesn't have to be uplifting. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, it can be it can be very pointed. It can be for a specific reason, like like hers. And uh, you know, I, I think about um, uh, God. What was his name? James Nutter in uh, in Maine, and mm-hmm. you know, just talking. His whole his entire story was about just the pain that he was experiencing in sports, and the language that he heard, and the suicide attempts, and you know, so these these stories are not. Oh, they're not always uplifting. Thankfully, over the last few years, almost all of them are. But you know, there's a, there's still a, there's a, still a lot of pain in a lot of these stories. Well, and we see the pain even when <clears throat> they write them now. It's it's amazing to me how similar so many of the stories are in what their what the things they feared. It's parents. A lot of it is religion. I think that's the one thing of all the coming out stories. It's probably the single biggest theme that's kind of connected so many of them has been religion and the negative impact it's had on them. You know, going to church every single Sunday and hearing from the pulpit, you know, how bad being a homosexual is and you're going to be sinful. And you hear that when you're seven, eight, nine, ten years old and you hear it every week and then you have this realization, oh, Jesus, that's me. It's, you know, I'm editing a story now where religion was the thing that kept this person in the closet and kept him from shunning uh, a gay teammate at his at, at his college because he didn't want to be kind of labeled that. It, it caused him to vote for Proposition 8 in California. I mean, all these things this person did at the time to kind of deny who he was, and it was because of the way he was raised. So I think the religious angle is one that... I mean, it could be, you know, and this person's from Southern California. It doesn't matter with the South, the Midwest. Religion has always been a huge factor in in, in, in people's struggles to come out. Religion and, and language, hearing, hearing gay slurs and, and, and other homophobic language that, as we've written about a million times, usually the, the straight athletes don't mean, I hate gay people when they say it, but that's what, that's what that's what the kids who are gay hear when when they hear it. So it's the the religion and and the language are, are seem to be the, the the two constants that that bring people bring LGBT people who are you know struggling with being LGBT the most pain. And what's also interesting is how these stories have a pretty wide geographic level for us. I was thinking about P.J. Painter, the, the cowboy um, from Wyoming. Was it Wyoming P.J.'s from originally? South Dakota. South Dakota now lives in uh, in Louisville, you know, and grew up basically in the middle of nowhere on a ranch. And yet how his father just embraced him when he told him he was gay and, you know, the love and support he got. Um, so it's not always simply, you know, what you think is the urban thing. And in many ways, we've probably had more stories from people kind of in the heartland, so to speak, than we've had from, you know, New York City or L.A. Maybe because it, people there feel they can be out and it's not a big deal, but I've kind of noticed some of the geographic diversity of the stories we've done. People will say to me all the time, in fact, I was talking to talking to Fred Carger. You know who he is? He's a ran for "Quote unquote," ran for president <laughs> a couple of years ago. No, I don't as a know Republican, Fred. Fred Carger. He 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 ran for president um, the year Romney got the nomination. He, he's a, he's a he's a rich guy. Decided he's going to run for a million. Anyway, he's gay, and and I was talking to him at this out out magazine party 
uh, last week, and he, like so many other people, started telling me um, how difficult it is to be gay when you're not living in New York and Los Angeles. And I, I've started really challenging these people and asking and talking to them about the athletes that we meet. And certainly coming out can be very difficult anywhere. And certainly the, the fear that you have is probably higher in rural Alabama than it is living in, growing up in West Hollywood, certainly. But once these people are out, so many of them, not all, but so many of them, Dalton Maldonado in Kentucky and Alan Gendro in Tennessee. And we have so many examples of people in unlikely paces being accepted by uh, their teammates and or their coaches and or their friends and or their family. And and I think that's, 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 uh, that's, that is one of the things that's opened my eyes is about how you know places that we, we just assume are these ho- horrible homophobic places find ways to accept these people, these kids, when they come out. Well, here's some examples just from 2015, our out-athletes list. Oklahoma University, um, Idaho, East Carolina, Shippensburg, which is in the middle of the – what? The two kids at Erskine College, a a Christian school in rural South Carolina, totally accepted by the campus. The students, the faculty, the coaches, the teammates – like like virtually no problems except for the stupid board of trustees, which is a bunch of old people in suits. Yeah, and again, when we talk about it, we always get people, oh, you don't know what it's like. Well, we do know what it's like, and we've never said homophobia is cured or solved or doesn't exist, but it is simply not true that you cannot be accepted if you come out these days. It's, it's, been, it's been proven over and over again that you can come out in some of the most unlikely places and get acceptance. And I think that's what these stories kind of keep drumming home, that it is possible. And there are people that we have counseled to not come out because we don't think they're ready. We don't think the support is there. So we're not Pollyannish about, you know, when we work with these uh, LGBT people in sports, we we make it very clear once the story's running, it's not going to unrun. <laughs> so if you yeah. have any second thoughts, you're better off not running it. And, you know, there are some people that we know clearly aren't ready to tell their story or maybe the reaction wouldn't be such. So you kind of hold off on it. But it is amazing how empowering people have felt just from reading other stories, which always leads to other stories. But, yeah, I think the diversity to me is what's really been the most surprising, um, especially in places what you might call sort of the corn belt up to like you know the rocky mountain area that's sort of you know midwest kansas oklahoma iowa more so than the south it still seems the south is one where we've had the fewest number of out athletes would you agree i i don't know you know i I did i actually did a i I mapped out who came out on out sports uh and, and other publications uh came out publicly last year and i have to take a look at it again uh, I, I put it on Twitter. I remember, obviously, the mountain states uh, and the plain states are tough, but there's just, just not a lot of people there. I mean, there's just, you know, compared to the Northeast. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the one place that I, I'm surprised we don't have more people is Southern California. I mean, you got, what, 20 million people here? And I think we, last year, like, four people came out that publicly that we knew of. 
it just it was that that to me surprised. You got tons in, in in the New York City area, but SoCal just it just not a lot. That that that's the one that surprises me. I wonder if there are some people maybe in Southern California on on certain the big campuses it's simply such a non-issue that people don't feel a need to go public. I, I'm just guessing because we've 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 know of people and for whatever reason it's they've not been driven and maybe because they have a more active social gay circle i mean if you're gay in southern california i mean just pop open grinder for example and you can go five blocks and you get a whole new list of people whereas in a lot a lot of these smaller places it is it is not as easy to meet people and you you kind of maybe feel a little more isolated, but I you know I'm just I'm just speculating. But we also don't get a lot from you know um, Chicago, for example. We just I'm just wondering if if the, the availability of just gay outlets make people in Southern California feel that it's they're they're comfortable the way they are, and don't have to feel the need to tell a story publicly. Yeah, that's that's entirely possible because a lot of times you know the, the, these people tell their stories because they they know that. We still have a ways to go, and 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 that the importance of inspiration and in the lives of other LGBT youth is, is is key. And I guess when you're surrounded by <laughs> surrounded by LGBT people who are totally out, you uh, you you might lose a little perspective that you still need to inspire people. Yeah, well, that's all the inspiration we have time for. We're going to keep running stories, and if you're an LGBT person in sports and want to tell your story, send us an email. That's outsports at gmail.com, and we will talk to you next week.